All right, so welcome to City Harbor Church. Safe place to find and follow Jesus. Before the message, we're going to talk just a little bit about our small groups and give you a chance to get to know the small group leaders and get a sense of what is available to you. We do have a variety of groups more than uh, we're introducing this morning. Uh, That would include small groups like what we have at Celebrate Recovery on Wednesday nights. Um, That is available to you every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock at the Hamden Family Center. Uh, It's a safe place to find freedom from life's hurts, hang-ups, and habits. And we have a couple other small groups that members of our church co-lead or host. Uh, There's actually, um, recently I counted up uh, between the adults and the babies, there's more than 80 people that would call this their church home that participate in one of our small groups um, at least monthly. Um, And so that is an important part of who we are, um, and we want to make sure that you are aware of that. So um, first, Ronald, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you guys do? Okay. My name is Ronald BT, and my wife's name is Lisa. BT, same last name, all right? So (laughs) we have a small group in our home. You know, God asked us to um, open it up and do it, so that's what we do. Um, We strictly stick with the scriptures, okay? And you might hear me say it a lot, truth over tradition. Um, in, my, in our personal lives, we grew up in a lot of tradition, knowing the truth, but still we stuck with the tradition. So we stick with the, um, the truth over tradition. It's led by the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to lead. People are free to talk and say what they got to say because we know the Holy Spirit tells each and every one of us how to do it. It's really no leader, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, it's our house, so we allow people in there. We have stuff to eat and drink and all. Um, Actually, we're on page 80 of the Purple Book, which um, seems like, you know, we're moving slow, but we're not. Because we get to some points of the scriptures where it opens up other topics and we address them. We go into the original words of the scriptures so we can understand the meaning of what the writer is trying to portray when he's talking to us, when he's writing down, um, given the experience that he experienced with the Father. So we, we go into that and it leads into a lot of things because we want to rightly divide the word of God. We want to rightly divide the scriptures. We want to rightly divide what God says when we say word of God. We want to rightly divide the scriptures. So that's what we do is, is, um, in Waverly or Penn Lucy or Penn Wavy Lucy, however you want to call it. (laughs) But the address is 3809 Ellisley Avenue in the middle of the block of Ellisley. It's like four houses on this side, four houses on the other side. We're right in the middle block. 38th Street comes right to our house. It tees right into our house. If anybody want to come, you're welcome to come. It's Fridays at 7 o'clock. We try to end like at 8.30, and then we fellowship, you know, afterwards with with food and still, you know, communication and all. Sometimes people don't leave the house until 11. (laughs) (laughs) And we have college students there as well. It's wonderful. So just, you know, thank God for it. Hello. Uh, My name is Ben Farrow. My wife is Kristen Farrow. And we're part of a small group that uh, basically we live in community with a few families over in the Waverly area. And as part of that, we meet on Friday nights for dinner and a group. And uh, one thing that we really care about is actually sort of unity within the broader body of Christ. And so this is a group that I think is really cool in that it's made up of members of various churches and, in some cases, no church. Um, so we've got people from the Mennonite Church and from a vineyard church nearby and from City Harbor. And uh, 
you know, some people from a variety of backgrounds and kind of levels of experience in Christianity and different perspectives, which is really cool. And we sort of rotate topics and activities. Uh, so we're going to be starting Galatians, I believe, the week after next, and then, or, you know, starting a, a study of Galatians, but sometimes we'll read a book together or kind of do an experiment in contemplative prayer or things like that. I always sort of discuss it as a group and decide what to do next. Uh, so if you'd like more information on that, let me know. We kind of rotate locations, so I can get you in touch if you're interested. Thanks. Hi, I'm Abby Vasquez. This is my husband, Chris. This is uh, Justin Cook, and his wife, Becky, is not here today. Um, but we meet at Justin and Becky's house um, over in Reservoir Hill, um, and we all co-lead the group. Um, we meet Tuesday nights at 7 and this year we're going to be going through celebration of discipline, which talks about different, the inward disciplines, the outward disciplines, and the corporate fellowship disciplines. And we're going to be doing that this whole year, and we're going to be spending probably about a month on each discipline. So if you're interested, um, you can contact one of us. Um, we'll give you the address. Um, and, yeah, I already said Tuesday nights at 7. Um, <laughs> anything else you guys want to add? <laughs> So, yeah, Justin and Becky's house. The address is 2517 Brookfield Avenue. All right, thank you. And uh, my wife, my wife Rebecca and I uh, lead a small group. Ours is uh, two Thursday nights a month, the second and fourth Thursday nights of the month. Joe and Anna host it at their house. We do Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. In the past quarter, we had been focused more on um, hearing the voice of God and what you do about that and how to operate in some of the uh, gifts of the Spirit. Um, and we really enjoy getting to know each other um, and celebrating life in community. So can we thank our small group leaders, please? All right. So uh, we it was good to pray earlier for those that have been affected around the world uh, by adverse weather uh, natural disasters, things of that nature. You know, our network of churches, we have uh, churches, friends um, all over. And I think we should pray for everybody, any human uh, that is going through some sort of suffering. Uh, but we, we have dear friends that are going through uh, great difficulty uh, right now. So always uh, happy to remember them in prayer. Some of which uh, uh, I'm hoping to see in just a couple weeks at our annual conference. Um, but in general, with a lot of the different things that are going on right now, um, I, I think that it's normal for us to ask certain questions, right? Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit more on that when we uh, dive into the scripture here momentarily. But I want to just remind you, as I have a couple of times before, of other resources besides a spiritual community that we just discussed in small group and besides um, prayer and understanding of God and seeking out God in the scripture um, relationships. and Because we believe that uh, faith in Christ is not something where you check your brain at the door, so to speak. You turn your brain off. Uh, quite contrary to that, we believe that God gave us a mind for a reason. And that you shouldn't ignore any questions about God, about suffering, about different things like that, but instead you should pursue answers. Uh, and so just to that end, I just want to make a couple of recommendations. A uh, great book that is worth your time that I'm holding here is by Philip Yancey, the medical background, um, great author. I love his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, What's So Amazing About Grace. But this one 
uh, I would strongly recommend as a part of your kind of long-term getting closer to Jesus. It's called Where is God When It Hurts? Readily available on Amazon. Actually, you can get a free copy at the book table at the back of the room as well. Where is God When It Hurts? Also, one of the more well-known minds right now, um, if you want to read living people, just a little book joke there. Um, Timothy Keller, who's been pastoring in New York City for a while, uh, this is an excellent book as well, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Obviously, there are many books that you can read um, on the subject. And I've, I want to turn to the scripture today. <clears throat> uh, we're going to go to, uh, we're going to spend our time primarily in two different chapters. One will be Exodus 34, the front of your Bible. And if you need a Bible, just wave. Uh, somebody will, will uh, put one in your hand if you would like a Bible. Uh, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So if you hit Deuteronomy, you've gone too far. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 34, and then we're going to go to Galatians chapter 3. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 34, and I'm just going to pray to ask that God would help us um, as we turn to the Scripture to understand what it is that we're reading. How many of you think that's a good idea? God, I just thank you that you are alive today, that you're aware of what's going on all around the world and in our own lives and our own thoughts and feelings. Um, I thank you that you are not only alive and aware, but you are able to act and to make a difference and that you are already acting, that you're active, you're at work. I thank you that that's who you are and that you didn't leave us on our own. Uh, and Lord, that as Jesus gave us instruction about who the Holy Spirit was, that he said that the Holy Spirit is here to guide us into truth. So God, the Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand what we're going to read today and help us to be changed by it. Help us to approach your word prayerfully, with humility, with an obedient heart. And help us to walk out of here changed today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Exodus chapter 34. And I would like to just read, uh, well, I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. Okay? Verses 5 through 7. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name. Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I'm going to pause there. Um, We've given the background of this text before. I'll just do so briefly. God has created the world, said, let there be light. Uh, started the story with Adam and Eve. Has walked out relationship with humans and seen justice and injustice and tragedy and also a lot of joy, a lot of life and relationship with Abraham. And here we have relationship with Moses and God's people have multiplied and a lot of folks going on. God has started to reveal himself to Moses in different ways and even saying things like, due to the hardness of your heart, I must give you more instruction. And uh, when Moses was away with God, what God was giving him instruction is the people started to worship things that they created instead of God. And 
God didn't feel too good about that. And as God was talking about how he felt about their turning away from him, Moses prayed, God, please have mercy on us. And God, I will not go any farther unless you are with us. Moses made a very specific plea that God would be with them. And in response to that plea, we have, apart from Adam and Eve and God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, and we don't really get a whole lot of a picture of what that's like, for the first time, God comes down and speaks his name and describes himself. Now, we've talked a couple weeks ago a little bit about prejudice and what it means, and I would hope that we would not hold prejudice against God. But let's allow God to describe his own name and describe himself in his own character. Does that sound like a good idea? So God God speaks, and the Spirit, and the the Hebrew word is, is like breath, and he speaks his name Yahweh. And his name, Yahweh, which is to say, God, your creator, and God, your redeemer. Even in that name, a depth of, I have created you by design, I love you, and yet even in response to your brokenness and your turning away from me, which had just happened, this is a relevant conversation. God is responding, he is describing himself, he's revealing himself, and he is describing who he is. He says, Yahweh, I am Yahweh, this is who I am, uh, the, the God who has created you and the God who has redeemed you. And then he goes on with this description, compassion. Like, I'm, I'm right down in there next to you. I care about what you're going through. Mercy. I will not punish you in the way that you deserve. Slow to anger. And that your Bible may say long-suffering. And the Hebrew word there, if we were to translate it out, literally means when you have done something so wrong that it would produce anger to the point of the nostrils flaring. It's literally what it means. I'm not going to strike you even when your behavior is such that it should cause my nostrils to flare. That's that's, This is God describing himself. I don't know if he was smiling at the time. I found that a little humorous. God has nostrils. (laughs) All right. Slow to anger. We sang about that this morning in the first song. Slow to anger. Filled with unfailing love. How many of you have experienced love on this earth that failed you? That's not God. God has unfailing love and faithfulness. He lavishes love to thousands of generations. This is God describing himself. He forgives. And we we talked about this a little bit last week. This word that God uses means that he removes our guilt. He removes our guilt and he restores our relationship with him. So we have in that word. But he goes beyond that. And in your, your Bible, you may have uh, sin, iniquity, transgression. God uses words that means a one-time offense, something that you do several times, and a lifestyle of wrong. That's what God says. I forgive the one-time offense. I forgive the thing you've done several times. And I forgive your lifestyle of wrong. That's how God describes himself. And then... But I do not excuse the guilty. I said, how is that possible? It's a contradiction, right? 
That's how we, that's a, con, that's contradiction. <clears throat> Let me back up. Some of you know that when I was a teenager, I was getting paid to act and got involved in writing and directing for almost eight years, directed theater. And one of the great books out there about all of that is called Audition. And in this book, Audition, to help you understand how to get into a character that you might play as an actor or even how to write or direct characters that are believable, one of the things that the author talks about is that within every human there are multiple dimensions of emotions and thoughts and feelings. And so you got to understand that if your character, and even he takes it to the extreme, but I find this helpful, that if your character is saying to another character, I love you, that somewhere on the inside your character may also be feeling, I hate you. So in other words, like, I love your pretty brown eyes, but I hate the way you squeeze the toothpaste tube from the middle. You, there, there's multiple dimensions in a person. And a three-dimensional character, if you will, that's in a story, in a play, in a show, um, that you might associate with or enjoy that would be believable is a character where there are multiple dimensions. Make sense? Our, we, two weeks ago, we talked about our God has created us in His image. God is also spirit and multidimensional. And God has chosen to show mercy and love and lavish his love and be long-suffering, be slow to anger, and also to judge the guilty. We're going to come back to that. I want this morning to focus some of our talk, because really what we're trying to do is respond to what's going on in our world and be honest about the fact that we have questions of, is there a God? Where is God when this stuff is going on? What is God like? What are God's thoughts? What is God feeling in the middle of all this going on, right? Well, God has described himself in this way. And so here's, on the screen you see our, our, our thesis, if you will, our, our, our main thought. God's love for us is lavish, as seen in what Jesus has done for us, as experienced in who Jesus is. God's love for us is lavish. That's a word. I don't know. When was the last time you used that word? Here's what that word means. Are you ready? Sumptuously rich. I bet you didn't think I was going to say that word today. Sumptuously rich. Rebecca's out of town, so we'll see how this goes. Elaborate or luxurious. To bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities upon. This is how God described his love for us. Lavish. Sumptuously rich. Now a lot of you know that for me a lot of stuff comes back to food. (laughs) I love food. And uh, the little kid in us might be thinking about the chocolate fountain. The first time you saw a chocolate fountain. What is this magic you speak of? A chocolate fountain? <laughs> but for some of us, that's really not going to uh, make it. It doesn't sound appetizing right now. So maybe brunch. Maybe brunch. And, and, and I see a French press of coffee, so sign me up for this brunch. But maybe it's a, a brunch for two. And you ever, you ever had been in a situation, uh, typically it's vacation, right? What's the definition of vacation? Where we go somewhere else and eat. Right? Some of you will get that later. So uh, sometimes on vacation, you, you save your nickels and pennies through the year. You get enough time where maybe you're 
job gives you permission, maybe it doesn't, you just leave, and you've got some extra nickels and dimes saved together for extra good meals. And sometimes in those extra good meals, you have more than you need. I mean, you know, the human body can go for a long time without any food at all. So a, a, a table, let's say that this picture on the right was a table for two for brunch. That's too much food. <laughs> we had a, um, I'm really careful to not um, share stories about my kids because it, um, sometimes adults say things to kids and it makes them feel embarrassed and insecure. But we were, we were on vacation this summer. Um, we sat down to a meal that was unexpectedly good and we were hungry and hot and tired and we come into this place and this meal was just like, I had a steak which um, I actually don't eat all that often and it was just amazing. It was really good. And one of my uh, kids finished their meal and said, Lord, empty my belly so I can taste it again. <laughs> And I laughed and laughed and laughed because I was enjoying that child's joy, right? That child was experiencing joy and that made me happy, right? God's love for us is lavish. He lavishes it upon us. It means he puts on us more than we need, more than we can handle. Now, there's a reason for that. But even in the face of suffering, even in the face of questions we don't yet have answers to, even in mental health professionals describe happiness. There's been a good, large, long-term study that was released on this not long ago. And their definition of happiness overall was when you have more positive emotions than negative emotions. God created you, and if we we watch the movie Inside Out, we understand there are redeeming qualities to bad emotions. Not enough parents in the room to get that reference. God lavishes his love upon us. And we have lament, we have the blues, we have the worst of the blues, we have the story of Job in the Bible, which is actually the very first of the books that was written down. I think it's because it's so long it was hard to memorize. And God does not escape or pretend like suffering and wrong and evil do not exist. And yet those things which he allows because of the result of sin in the garden do not change his character. Those things do not change who he is. And though he laments with us, and the scripture says that God is close to the brokenhearted, and though he weeps, I read this week about Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus before he brought him back to life. God feels our pain and God weeps, and yet it does not change his essential character. It does not change the fact that he chose, before you deserved it, to lavish his love upon you. It's more than enough. This truth should be intoxicating. Intoxicating. I think that if you pursue God with all your mind, with all your emotions, with all the energy that your body has, 
you should have at least moments of intoxication. His love for you, what it means, should wreck you. I One time, I was in my early 20s, I heard somebody describing this, and I was broken, and I was hurt, and people were looking to me to have it all figured out, and it absolutely wrecked me hearing somebody describe this. And so I started on that day to put more time and energy than usual and to literally do nothing in the Bible or in my pursuit of God or reading books except try to learn about the love of God. That turned into a year and a half of my life. And that it literally, some of my old friends would say, literally included a change in my personality. I would laugh at times it was not logical to laugh. I didn't lose my mind. Still here. But I became changed by the revelation of the love of God. Some of it came in moments where I was quiet, listening to the Lord for long periods of time with no interruption from the outside, no phone, no screens, no other humans, no other voice. Some of it came from that. Some of it came from walking in nature. Some of it came from singing my worship. Some of it came after reading deeply, Hours and hours of reading. Some of it came from study of the scriptures. Some of it came through dialogue and through listening to other people's experiences. It literally started to take the whole scope of my human experience. And my pursuit was to understand the love of God. From that life experience, I say to you, your personal understanding of God's love for you should be intoxicating. A historian wrote of the reformers that in their study of the grace of God through the the book of Romans and many others, that it was like they went down into the basement and stumbled on something 1400 proof and they were never the same. That's what the historian wrote. God has lavished His love upon us. Now, we can choose to live our lives in such a way where we are not aware of it and therefore be dry and frustrated. And this can sound alien. But I'm telling you, it's available. But it won't come to you if you are passive in your relationship with God. It's available all the time, but it will bring change to you if you are active. So let's go back to the the dichotomy, the contradiction. So you see on the screen what I call God's DNA. Yahweh, compassion, mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, lavishing love to thousands of generations, forgiving, removing the guilt and restoring the relationship. One time, a few times, and a lifestyle of sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. How is that, how is it possible? I'm gonna ask you some questions today and at times I'm gonna look for verbal responses from you. 
I, I warned you. Quick reminder, the, the terms that we've talked about here recently, because we're going to turn to Galatians and we're going to read some words, but I want to make sure we're on the same page about what the words means. Faith is to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. That's faith. Forgiven, to remove the guilt resulting from wrongdoing, to restore the relationship. Sins, the moral consequence of having sin, separation from God as a result of sin. Now let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. How is it possible that God can be that way and yet not excuse the guilty? Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to lift just a few verses, which you'll see on the screen. Verse 13 and 14, first of all. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. In the back of the New Testament, you get you bit the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, and then the some of the smaller ones, it goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Gepsi, G-E-P-C. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung upon the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung upon a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, that's you and me, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now, in these texts, we're going to get a little bit about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The promise to Abraham was that you will be blessed so that you can be a blessing. And I want you to know that it's okay for you to pray that. And that was primarily a promise about the Messiah and the genealogy of the Messiah. But it included other things as well. You will be blessed so that you can be a blessing. But for our purposes, what we see here is that God, through Jesus Christ, is making a way so that some of us who are guilty can respond to him in faith, have our sins forgiven, and then experience the lavish love of God. Did you catch that? That's going to be important. I'm going to ask you questions about that in a moment, right? God, through Jesus Christ... Jesus rescued us and paid the price, right? 13, 14. Let's look at verse 22. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Now, prisoners of sin, think about this. If you are compelled to do something that's wrong and you want to do the right thing, but you can't do it, you are compelled to it, you are enslaved to it. Jesus makes a way for you to find freedom, and only by laying hold of the freedom in Jesus can you get away from it. But we've got to understand that our fleshly cravings that bring us into a place of wrong relationship with God and things that are out of order and excess, right? Peter wrote it, Peter wrote his prayer like this. Let, Lord, let nothing take the place of you in my heart. What does Jesus do? He provides us freedom. How does the freedom occur? By believing in Him. 
I, I find that in our culture right now, a lot of people are concerned about, well, I can't be identified as a Christian because they're really narrow because of what they believe about this activity and that activity and this, they believe that this is sin and that is sin. I got news for you. It's harder than that. It's harder than that. Now, it's also not about what a lot of people make it out to be. A lot of Christianity in America is primarily the result of evangelical deism and is focused on outward behavior and is legalistic and is all about, hey, if you will show up to these events and you will live in a certain way, then you're going to become a better person, which is all not true. It helped me not curse. Is that right? I, I mean, Paul used a word that would be a curse word for that idea, okay? Uh, but I don't want to distract you from Jesus, right? So that's a wrong approach. But if I come to Jesus, what I really find out is that only by completely relying on Jesus as the only way to salvation can I have this relationship with God. Can I now no longer be counted as one that is guilty, but now I can experience the love of God that has been lavished upon me. The door is narrow. It's narrow. And it's about Jesus. Way more than your outside behavior. Now your outside behavior, your conversation, your, that might show that there's something wrong on the inside of your heart. That might show that you're not in a healthy place. But I'm never going to be more concerned about your outside behavior than the state of your spirit. Are you in a healthy place because of your connection to Jesus Christ? Are you relating to Jesus Christ as though he is actually your savior? Is coming here or living or, or talking in a certain way so that some people think you're good really what you think is saving you? <laughs> right? No, it's Jesus. Freedom. Okay, verse 26. We got to keep going. I can hear my wife's voice. <laughs> now, this is talking to the believers. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all, and this is an important theme, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism, we had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and now we have water baptism that's being referred to. All who have been united with Christ in baptism, making a public external statement, an action that says, I identify with Jesus, united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Two weeks ago we talked about racism and prejudice that happens on the inside of us. Jesus' followers should be the most loving, accepting, caring people of all other humans. It's in there. We are one in Christ. Tonight, do my chores when my wife is out of town. It is not because she is my wife. It is because someday we will also see each other in heaven. And we won't be male or female anymore. But we will remember (laughs) what went down. Out of respect for her because of who Jesus is to me, my love is changed. Because we are one in Christ. She is my wife and my sister in Christ. 
a little weird, but it's spiritual. (laughs) We are spiritual family by faith in Jesus. The church I grew up in, everybody called each other brother and sister. They didn't even call the pastor pastor. They just called him brother and by his name. We are spiritual family by faith in Jesus. Verses 27 and 28 is what we just read. We have unity with Jesus and with other people. Verse 29. Now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. I don't have time to unpack that today. Huge theme, important theme in the scripture. Because the Jewish leaders of the law and the temple and the external place of worship were trying to say that they were the ones who truly knew God. They could pronounce God's name properly. They had the right knowledge of the scriptures and the law. They were saying that this is not legitimate. And Jesus is saying that if your, excuse me, the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying that if your relationship is with Christ as your Savior, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So, so good. Now, let us have a little bit of a conversation. I'd like to ask you some questions. And you can listen to this later on your phone or with your podcast app or whatever, and you can consider them. Or you can give me some responses. You've got a few minutes for this, right? So... Exodus 34, God revealing himself, Yahweh lavishing his love upon us, but not excusing the guilty, but giving us through Jesus Christ a way that we would not be counted guilty. Here are some of my questions. Would God do all of this and then leave us alone to figure it out ourselves or leave us to still have to prove that we are worth saving or leave us alone in this world? God wouldn't do all of that so that we can relate to him through grace, through, through, through Jesus by grace, so you could relate to him through legalism and your works. No. That's not the God we see. So what is God like? Talk to me. Yes. Brunch for two where you have more than you need. Lavish. Somebody else. What is God like? Kind, yes. Compassionate, yes. Patient, yes. The father and the prodigal son relating to both the wayward son and the one trying to earn his way, but instead going to them. Yeah. Yeah, going to us wherever the state of our heart is, whether we've outwardly disobeyed, like the story of the prodigal son and the elder brother. Either way, coming coming to us. How does God love? Unconditionally? Sorry? Big. Big. Lavish. Surprising. Yes. What? Purely. Actively. Yeah, God's love's not like just, oh, he did it and he forgets it. First. Yeah? 
All of our love is just a response, a reasonable response. In what way has God shown love to us? Through Jesus. God has shown his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Romans 5, 8. Yeah. So, who is Jesus? God. Okay. What else? Our Savior? Yeah. Yeah. A very old Jewish man. <laughs> A very old Jewish man? Sure. Yeah. What else? And so, not white, which is true. My role model? Yes. Yeah? What else? Who is Jesus? Communicates the Father. Yeah, so everything about Jesus tells us something about God. Yeah? The perfect high priest who did not need to sacrifice for himself, but was worthy to eternally pay for our Exactly. Yeah, our great high priest. The wisdom of God. Uh, here's here's a freebie. The light. John John one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the, Jesus was there with the creation. Was is Jesus connected with that? God said, "Let there be light." Something to think about, Allison. Emmanuel, God with us. Our friends, the Royal Royal, releasing their new album, new song, out on the internet right now, talking about Jesus, my champion. I love that. What response does God ask of us in relationship to Jesus? Acceptance? Acknowledgement? Yeah. That we believe. That there is a belief. Now belief, that's active. And it's not in a moment. And it's not just a decision. It's not just mental assent. It's active and it should be ongoing. If you don't feel like gathering with other believers, if you don't feel like singing, if you don't, I would propose to you that your spirit may be sick and it may be sick because you're not actively growing in your relationship. Are you learning more? Rebecca and I married 21 years. I still don't know everything about her. She still says and does things that surprises me. And she's not like an outlandish person. She's an introvert, really. And so it's like it takes some digging to try to find out who this human is. And I'm always surprised. And yet God is infinitely more than humans. Every day there's something new for you to learn about Jesus. What are the results of believing in Jesus? Freedom? Growth? Transparency, right. Enough freedom to be honest and be who you really are. Joy? Yeah? Bearing fruit, love. Access to the lavish love. So, I want you this morning to ask yourself, is this true? Why does this matter? How does it make you feel? What does it make you think?
So if God is like this, if God loves me like this, if Jesus is, then who are you? Who are you? What what does that mean? If God saved you because he loves you, had Jesus paid the ultimate price, his son, then what does that say about you? You have worth. You're created in his image. I want to leave you with this thought today. On the screen, in relationship with Jesus, no difficulty can arise without eventual good coming out of the chaos. My trust is in Jesus and his love for me as his own. So what if nuclear war happens? Really? Right? Does it change any of this? No. So what if the government walks in here and a soldier shoots me and I am dead? Does it change any of this? No. So if I have a terminal illness, does it change any of this? No. No. God has lavished His love upon us. The fact of the matter is, when you really dig down into the good news of the gospel and you understand it, you can have a joy so that you don't need anything else in this life and of this world. And literally nothing else in this life or this world is as satisfying. Now don't get me wrong, God created good things for us to enjoy. God created the the covenant of marriage, a lifelong promise. God created food. God created the ability for us to be creative about food and music. And God created all these things. And yesterday we were about with dog adoption and the the skate park and everything. Yesterday I was like in heaven. It was great. God created good things for us to enjoy. That we could learn how to mix up some polyurethane and put wheels on the things that now are in fidget spinners. And put wheels on skateboards and ride and have fun. God created good things for us to enjoy and we should enjoy those good things. And we should recognize that when we are enjoying those good things, we are enjoying the God's love that has been lavished upon us. How do you have the good from the bad? If I'm enjoying something good and the result is good, it's good. If I'm enjoying something and the result is bad, it's bad. Happiness. So, I'm out of time. We must be changed by this. I hope that I have excited in you a desire to get closer to Jesus and to experience the lavish love of God and that your response will be that you are changed and that you can't help yourself but be intoxicated and want to share it with somebody else. That's my desire. I'm going to close in prayer. And if you would like prayer for any reason today, please 
Don't leave until you've asked for it or found somebody that can pray for you today. God, I thank you that your word is reliable, that Jesus is true and alive, and that these words we have considered today are true, that they matter, that they communicate your love for us. I thank you that you have loved us with more than we need, more than we deserve, that you have not punished us in the way we deserve, and you have given us the good that we do not deserve. I thank you that this is who you are and that even in the face of contradiction and even in the face of suffering, that we can bank on the fact that you are a good God who loves and loves deeply. We thank you for that today. Help us to be changed by it. Help us to share your love with others in Jesus' name.